that intimacy between the, the, the bunch of you. And I liked it. I really, I, I, I thought it worked. It worked. It was um, fun, man. I mean, I gotta be honest that we were like, Oh, cool. We're going to go play like in a radio, like studio thing. Yeah. That was be cool. And I mean, we sort of practiced as we sort of always do. Right. But mm-hmm. I remember we, <laughs> like, I, we, uh, first of all, I haven't cut my fucking hair in a year. So I can't even see my guitar anymore. Like I can't, I, I don't love know what my hands you, are doing. By the I way, I, I love when you said that because I have not either. I, I won't cut my hair because I'm too afraid of COVID. And uh, my hair's a fuck. I mean, look at it. I got a buffant. I mean, what, I was what gonna is going to say it looks here? good. Howard, come you on. Think? Yeah, yes. well, I could use a trim. You know, I got the curly hair look, and it's getting a little out of control. But uh, Let like it you, go, listen, dude. Uh, Brian listen. May, Brian May, all the way. Brian May, yeah. that's right. You look like Brian May. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a great look. He doesn't <laughs> no like that. He doesn't take yeah, that I, as a compliment. I don't want to look like Brian May. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Come> <laughs> no offense. You're like a cuter way, Dylan. You should see my pubes. It's even worse. It's the same do right down there. Well, you get those trims. I didn't know. Uh, Does it look like you're sitting on Brian May's shoulders? Is that what it is? I do, yes. When when I go to your concert, you say, I can't believe there's Howard Stern sitting on Brian May's shoulders. (laughs) How often as a band do do you call audibles in the middle of a show like I saw you do Friday night? How often will you actually be in front of a live crowd and then you go, Hey, fuck this set list. It's, uh, I feel something. I want to play this song. How often it does depends that on the, It depends on the audience. Like, that's, right. you start, you know, usually like the first hour or two, you're like sticking to the thing that you do. But if you get to that point where you're like, dude, we got to fire these people up a little bit, you start hitting those. Or, you know, there's times that, you know, I started, I started calling people up on stage. So that like the one night, there's some person with a little sign that says like i'm gonna play monkey wrench or something and you're like <laughs> after like you know by the way i'm having cocktails on stage while we're playing every night so by about by about two Are hours you and 15 minutes at- having cocktails he's drinking jägermeister shots before <laughs> it goes on <laughs> it's good for the wait throat it's good for the throat wait, wait good a for second. the throat you've convinced yourself that's good for your throat right i mean the same well, thing with the, the, the chewing gum like like you said to me i chew someone even called in today and said Ask Dave about chewing gum. It drives That's a real me crazy. Thing. Yeah, but you think it makes your throat looser, but um, I'm afraid you're going to fucking take a breath one time and that gum is going to get caught in your throat. You're going to choke to death on stage. I worry about you with I that know. chewing gum. And that's rock yeah. and roll. Like, how did he fucking die? Oh, you choked on his <laughs> fucking, you know what I mean? Like, that's oh what we're talking God. about. Take my minivan to the show and die from fucking inhaling gum. How great would that be? Your obituary reads, he died from inhaling gum on stage. That's, no one will ever That's a Wikipedia. Yes. No, but so, so then I see a person and they're like, I play Becky Ranch. And so I do it one night and it's like, you know, it, it's just, it's just, it, it just changes it up. You've been on the road for a year and a half and you're playing hockey arenas. They all look the same. And so then, then people start bringing signs. Like they, they saw on YouTube, like, oh, did you see that kid from Toronto came up and fucking play the Rush song with them? And then the next night, you know, did you see that lady came up and sang the fucking Gloria Gaynor song? Whatever. Then our show starts looking like fucking the price is right. Like there's so right. many signs out there. And and it doesn't and we've never arranged any of these. It's never been like, okay, so hold up the sign and I'll call you. We've never done that. But I'll look at someone and I'll be like, Okay, this is either gonna be the most amazing performance I could see it at the or the biggest fucking train wreck you've ever seen in your life. And and either one is okay with me. Like if someone jumps up on stage and just shits the bed so hard. The 20,000 people are like, oh, my God, that was a train wreck. <laughs> to me, that's like, 
Cool. We just had a rock and roll show. That's cool. Right. That's like a show you'd want to see when you were a kid going to shows. And, and, and you know, the, 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 the band just got nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. First of all, in all honesty, does, uh, congratulations, but does that turn you guys on? Or is it like, yeah, you know, and I, and I don't want the politically correct answer. Or does it just really not matter? Is it bullshit? Oh. Pat. It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not bullshit no. at all. You like it. You you say this is a good thing. Um, I'm excited about it. Uh, absolutely, it's a, it's an honor, of course. I yeah. mean, it's, that sounds like the political answer, but it's just the answer. It's the Nate truth. Wants that you, you fucking trophy. So fucking. You want that trophy. <laughs> Nate, wants, Nate trophy. wants to be a champion. Has begun. Wait, there's a trophy. <laughs> Nate wants to be too earnest. A little is a little earnest. It's true though. Taylor didn't no, even know true. there was I think a trophy. It's true. Yeah, I mean, right? wait. What did the sex the sex pistols they said? We're not coming. They said we're not coming. <laughs> Fuck you or something like that. Like right. that, you know, okay, the sex pistols. Like that's that's what you would imagine they would say. You know. And who do you who do you want to induct? I would imagine that if you guys don't get inducted into the Rock Roll Hall of Fame the first time around, it would it would be comical to me. The band is so uh, good and so tight, and 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 you have so many hit songs. If if you're going to uh, say someone should be in the first time, I would think it would be Foo Fighters. And, 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 and who would you want to induct you? Who is it that you idolize so much beside myself? Who is it you idolize so much that you would want them to induct you? You just threw your fucking name in the hat right then. No, I didn't. And by the way, you did. Yes, you did. No, no, I did not. Do Stop it. it. Do it. No, no. Come on. No, 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 Come on. No. Dave, I mean, Dave, listen to me. I had to induct. I, no, I, not on purpose. I inducted John, uh, the, the Bon Jovi band into the Rock Roll Hall of Fame. I, I, want, I said to John, I'm going to kill myself. What are you doing to me? I don't want to leave my house. Leave me be. Leave me alone. Come on. You know, Who is we it? haven't had this discussion. Taylor Let's have it now. Had, okay, well, you know, to be honest, this band started with this demo tape that I did ages yes. ago, right. five years ago. It was right. just, uh, I went to the studio for five days. I played all the instruments. I recorded 13 or 14 songs just for fun. I made cassettes and I called it Foo Fighters because I didn't really want everyone to know it was me. I thought maybe right. if I give someone a cassette and they think it's a band, then it, they'll be they'll be surprised when they find out that it's, that, that it's just one person and that it was me. And, you know, coming out of Nirvana, it was like I didn't want to, like, Say like, hey, I've got a solar project. So I called it Foo Fighters. One of the reasons why I did that is because when I was young, someone gave me a record by an artist named Clark Kent, right? It was this uh, kind of weird, like, fringe thing. Clark Kent. Who's Clark Kent? It sounded a lot like the police. It sounded a lot like the police because it was actually Stuart Copeland, the drummer hmm. of the police, made this record under the name Clark Kent. He didn't put his name on the record. It was just called Clark Kent. And it was this cool record. So when you first got it, you were like, wow, who's Clark Kent? This is kind of rad. And then someone's like, that's Doric Copeland. So that's really the thing that inspired me to start the band Foo Fighters and call it Foo Fighters and do the whole thing. So I got to be honest. I think Stu would be a great guy to induct the band. Absolutely. And, I mean, if you've ever hung out with Stuart Copeland, like, he can make a fucking speech. Oh, okay. God. Like, he, have to now take this shocks me. There's a bunch of dynamic I'm observing as you say that. 
So you come up with the idea that Stuart Copeland of the police should be the guy. This is unofficial, by the way. This is like coming out of my mouth. It's fucking six in the morning. Who knows what happened? But maybe the other guys, Taylor right away is like, yeah, 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 right. I mean, the reason I have these are because of Stuart Copeland. These are all All right. So you're in on the Stuart Stuart Copeland thing. Who is it that has the balls in the band right now to stand up and say they do not want Stuart Copeland. They want somebody else. Somebody, Pat. Certainly. Okay, Pat. Pat, who do, you, who do you suggest? Is Dave's that mom. Oh, dude. oh, that's good. That's good. Wow. Good. This that's is good. you're you're an original. This is so true. Your mother. Yes. Fuck Stuart Copeland. <laughs> I'm with Pat. I want your mother up there. Gives a shit right, about Clark Kent. I'm I going agree. with your mom. You know what? You're right. Pat's always right. I love right. it. Pat's always right. He made the call. Pat's always right. Um, Do you guys, all right, this is philosophical, because I could talk to this band, because this is a band I, I, if I was going to start a band, I'd want a band like yours. I I would be into it. I'm so embarrassed sometimes when I see bands today. Um, You know, did you see this controversy? David Crosby commented on the the woman who played Saturday Night Live. Did you see that she smashed a guitar on stage and Crosby said he was... Yeah, he said he was embarrassed by it because he felt he thought it was a, pathetic. That's what he pathetic said. was his word because Who, David uh, you know, Crosby, David Crosby. And the woman got upset that David said that. But in a way, he was being honest. He was saying, look, you know, it, it was it looked staged. It looked uh, it looked a bit forced, blah, 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 blah. Where do you stand on that? Uh, it, was that embarrassing or was it something that you thought was worthwhile? The smashing of the guitar. That's right. I mean, I didn't see it. He had, so who was it? It's Phoebe, Phoebe Bridgers. Phoebe Bridgers. Um, first of all, you have to understand that for the last 10 years, every interview I do, people say, uh, is rock and roll dead? Right. Like for the last 10 years. Right. I'm like, well, I don't think so. I mean, I stand at the lip of the stage and there's like 50,000 people freaking out. So but me, don't ask me. I don't think right. so. I think it's fucking great, you know? Yeah, you're rocking. Every year is rock and roll dead, rock and roll dead, rock and roll. There's no guitars anymore. Rock and roll, rock and roll's dead. There's no guitars anymore. Like, like people stopped using guitars, you know, like, well, I mean, in popular music, people stopped using guitars. So in the last year, there's been this like return to like guitar rock music in popular music. Like I'll see like Miley Cyrus, like Miley Cyrus is becoming Joan Jett. It's like you watch it. There's like guitars and she's head banging. And it's like, yep. oh my God, that's a rock band, you know? And she's like this gigantically huge pop artist. But, you know, and so, so there's, there's moments where you're starting to see like rock and roll is, I think people realize like, oh yeah, it's fucking cool. Oh, rock and roll is cool. Well, shit, let's fucking do that for a little while. But I saw that performance, man. I thought I actually talked to my mom about it. I caught, she goes, did you see Saturday Night Live? I said, yeah. She goes, what did you think about that girl, Phoebe? I'm like, she's got a beautiful voice, man. Like, she could really sing. My mother was like, I loved it. I thought she was great. And like, the, okay, so, you know, when you watch us jam and freak out and do our thing where we're like, eh, like, it's a song, and then it just goes, <laughs> and turns into a thing. I think right. that's what they did. Like, when I smash the guitar, I, right. I, you know, I, I've probably maybe smashed. I mean, fuck, dude, Nirvana. Nirvana it was like every, every night. fucking night. My <laughs> drums had holes in them from Kurt fucking chopping at my drums, and it got to the point where it was like, dude, stop fucking chop! Like, come on! Like, my drums right. have holes in them. 
I've seen <laughs> enough smashed guitars. Like, I know what it's like. But let me tell you, it feels fucking good when you do it. That's for sure. Dave, what went wrong when um, uh, Chris threw his um, uh, guitar up in the air in Nirvana, and then he um, it, it hit him in his head and knocked him out? I mean, the guitar won. I like to see the guitar win every once in a while. Okay, so you know yeah. that you know Chris is like six foot eight. He's six foot seven and a half. Like right. Nova Sal is yep. a fucking big dude, and he plays these basses, these Gibson yeah. Rippers or gr- Rippers uh, Grabbers or what is it? Uh, there you go. They weigh like seventy five pounds. And he's so huge that it's like an RD. That's what I was. Yeah. So sometimes he would throw it up in the air. And so we're at this MTV Awards in 1992. And like end of the song, we're smashing shit. And Chris takes his bass that weighs 75 pounds, throws it up in the air, and it gets lost in the like stage lights. He can't see it. He's like, you know, like, and it just goes, bop, and hits him on the head. Kurt and I have no idea. So we're still chopping at our instruments and stuff. And so he crawls off and disappears. <laughs> and we walk off stage and everyone's yeah. like, where's Chris? Where's Chris? Where is he? He hit his belt in the fucking head with a bass. And we're like, oh, my God, thinking like he's unconscious <laughs> under the stage or something like that. And we're busting into all these dressing rooms. And we open up a dressing room door. And guess what he was doing? Drinking champagne with Brian May backstage with a huge <laughs> fucking welt on his forehead. He was fine. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, that's crazy because, like, you... Uh, when you broke your leg on stage with Foo Fighters, you you, you took a, a little beat. They, I don't know what they did. They put you in a chair, and then you came back out and you continued on. You you played with the band, right? I mean, th- we, how much pain I was were you? fucking wasted, dude. Come on, what are you oh, talking oh, about? Like, is that what no, it was? Uh, no, it wasn't really. No, it's adrenaline. Like that. Like, we're at a stadium. It's a beautiful night. There's sixty thousand people. We're like, this is gonna be an amazing. Set list is three hours long. First song, we play Everlong first. Everyone's like, oh, my God, they opened with Everlong. Wow. And then fucking bouncing around. Second song, I'm like, Monkey Wrench. I'm like, and I'm just, you know, I've had three Coors Lights and a couple fucking Crown Royals. And I took some Advil. And I'm like, the fucking Hulk. And I go running over to the side of the stage. I trip over this monitor thing. And those fucking stages are really high. There's right. 11 feet or something like that. So I was like, bleh, bleh, rolling out the windows. And then I decide, like, all right, I'll just sort of jump. And I, I hit the ground fucking hard. And more than anything, it was just embarrassing. Right. Like, what a fucking dumbass. I just ate shit in front of 60,000 Swedish people. So I it's went to so stand up. Yeah. It really was. And then my ankle was dislocated, and I broke the bone and all the fucking ligaments. And they pulled me off. I'm like, I think I just broke my leg. And I looked at Taylor. Because the Foo Fighters are, like, the highest paid cover band of all time, I'm like, just play a fucking Queen song. Play the fucking Faces song. Play the fucking... And they went over, and I said to the guy, he was like, he's like, he takes off my shoes. like, ankle's dislocated. I got to put it back in right now. I was like, fuck. Okay. And he fucking went and put it back in. He's just holding it there. And I was like, okay, can I go finish the show? If I sit down, he's like, yeah, but if I, if I let go of your ankle, it's just going to fall out. And I was like, well, then you have to fucking come up and hold my ankle. And wow. so he, he went up there and he like, he held it and we finished the show. And, but that, you know, people always ask me what are my favorite, my favorite show we've ever played. And it was that fucking show because to me, that it was just such a, it was funny in a way. Right. But to me, I was like, that was what this band is all about. Like, really? Like, of all the challenges we've been through, like, nothing is going to fucking stop us from finishing this fucking show. So let's just do it and get it over with, and I'll go fucking have surgery. And then we went on tour for another 65 shows. How weird is fame in the sense that, I, I, I don't know if this is true, but I read, because I haven't spoken with you since you 
you know, you hurt your leg on stage. But you go to the hospital, and the first guy I read who visited you was Prince Harry, the dude from England. And like, I'm like, what, what, what the fuck? Who, what the hell is he doing in your hospital? I mean, it, 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 it well, must be surreal for you. Yeah, I mean, the first guy to visit me was actually the drummer of Coldplay. Really? He lived down the street. <laughs> like, I was getting texts from everybody like, did you just fucking fall off the... Are you okay? <laughs> and so the guy from uh, Coldplay, Will, came by and hung out with me in the hospital. I was still clicking the fucking morphine button. Wow. Like, Coldplay, 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 Coldplay. And then fucking... Uh, uh, and then I went... I was staying at this hotel thing, and... Um, Prince Harry was like, hey, I have a gift for you. Uh, well, come say hi. Really? Yeah, and what I mean, you- it's funny because he came over to hang out. It was his big hotel suite. And, like, he's so chill that, like, you know, my nanny was there. My kids were there. They didn't know he was the fucking Prince of England. They were just <laughs> like, hey, your friend is here. And yeah. He brought me this thing to hold my iPad so I could, like, just watch movies and shit. And it was great. Do you, hang, cool. do, you, do you hang out with Prince Harry? I mean, what has life become for you? I, I don't even no, know. But we, <laughs> Are you hanging have, with Prince Harry? What is we that have, like? We have, we have hung out with him before. Really? He and what do you guys do? Taylor in the face one time. How hard was that smack in the face? Pissed me off, actually. <laughs> Why, you didn't bow <laughs> to him or something? What happened? No, you didn't bow? We, were, we literally were doing something similar to this, but not similar to this. We were doing, we were playing somewhere in England, and we had just flown over, and like, Literally had like two hours sleep, and we were doing a show in some ambassador's backyard or something for some the sports thing. What's it called? Invictus. Dave? Invictus. <clears throat> and I was so just frazzled. And he walked in, Terry, and then like a bunch of his people around him, and and um and I and he goes, "How you doing?" And I'm like, "I can't wake up. I'm so tired. I can't play. I can't wake up." He just goes, "Bam!" What the fuck? And I went. <laughs> You motherfucker. <laughs> and then it's like two guys are like right there. And he's like, you wake, you're awake now or something like that? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, fucking. Wow. Yeah, sure. The face. I mean, I got Absolutely. slapped in the face by the prince. I mean, that's okay, really, if you think about it. But I, at the moment, I was like, just fucking slap me, dude. <laughs> Isn't it amazing being in a successful band? And if you think about it, the odds of being in a successful band, I always say this, are like a zillion to one. You have a better shot of being like on the New York Yankees because, you know, so many bands have come and gone. Do you ever wake up in a sweat and go, what if it hadn't all worked out? Like, do you guys have friends who are masterful musicians? Everything they do is good. I mean, they can play as good as anybody. But for some fucking reason, they just never took off. They never got the break. And, and you look at their lives, and, and some of them aren't even playing music now. They're, you know, they're driving a truck or something. Is it, is that part of it freak you out? Dude, remember that Anvil movie? Did you see the movie about the band Anvil? No. This came out like 10 years ago or something. This metal band from Canada, like in the 80s, are called Anvil. And they just never got their break, right? They were one of right. those bands that were just like, they were always kind of there, they were on the bill, but they never got their big break. There was a documentary film made about them um, where they're following them like today. They're still going for it. This is a couple, five, six, seven years ago. Still going for it. Dudes working like <laughs> delivering cafeteria food to the, like nursing homes and shit. But at night, he's like playing these small clubs and he's like, he's still like chasing the dream. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing with most musicians. It, a lot of it doesn't 
doesn't necessarily matter. Like <clears throat> you just can't like stop. You can't stop doing it. You it's can't. In your blood. Right. Like, yeah. Like if you're really that into it, you just can't stop doing it. doesn't matter. Like what you do during the day. I don't know, but, but absolutely. Would... We wake up every day and I'm like, I can't believe that we're, first of all, that we're still alive. I can't believe that we're fucking, we still get to do this. Like it, but nobody here takes it for granted. Believe me. Yeah. I can imagine like, like having this, this desire and this dream, but you know, it seems to me every person I interview who actually makes it, they've got insane drive. Like they don't have anything to fall back on and they just keep pushing no matter what. And I, and I think that's what it takes, I guess, you know? It's the it's the only way to be. If if you have a backup did, plan, Howard. yeah, no, I have, listen. I still have no backup plan. What the fuck am I going to do with my life? Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm a big mess. When when you're in personal relationships, you know, when you, you, you're married, you have three kids. They, I liken being in a band like it's almost like um, if a woman must look at you and say uh, it's like being in the, a, a military wife. You guys pick up. And leave for like a year. I know you could go back and forth now and you can afford to come home and all that. But still, there's tremendous amount of time on the road. And if a band's going to be good and they're going to stick together, you got to go out and tour and you got to be on the road. And I know sometimes you can bring the family with you. But as your kids get older, they got to go to school. They need some normalcy. Is it hard on your spouse to to be in a relationship with you in the sense that it's got to be taken for granted that you're going to leave and you're going to go on the road? And let's face it, you're not going to be home all that much. You know, it's one of, honestly, one of the things about the last year, like one of the, if there's anything good about the last year, it's that we broke that cycle of going out on tour after every record and blah, blah, blah. So like, it's been a year of being at home and like making lasagna and helping the kids with the homeschooling and stuff like that. Like, it's been a good thing. I mean, you know, it's. I think that it's just this, we got to the point where we could finally determine and dictate how much we're going to do it, right? Like back in the early days, like when we first came on your show, it was like 1998, 97, whatever it was, I, we, were, we would go out for two and a half months, come home for 10 days, go out for two and a half months, come home for 10 days. Now right. it's kind of like we get to sort of determine how much we're going to go out and do stuff and like... And do it comfortably, you know, rather than right. because in order to make it last this long, you really do have to like you have to you basically have to be in control and say, no, nah, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. Let's go do this. And then we'll come home. And then, yeah. So yeah, you got to grow up yourself. in a sense. And you got to say no to yourself. You got to say, Absolutely. OK, I, as much as I love being on the road and playing every night and, and the money That is, being said, uh, when people yeah. start having like concerts again. Hand over fist, dude. I'm going for it. Like the world tour, we're going to circle the planet like seven times. Well, you, Do you, you better constantly... believe our our wives and kids have never wanted us to go on the road more than they. I know. After this past year, I feel like my kids are calling Don Muller at WME, like book him a tour, book him a tour. Do you constantly? This is the business side of it. Do you constantly calculate in your head? Oh my God, I would imagine Foo Fighters is one of the major touring acts. I mean, financially. I don't know what, what you bring in a year, but do you constantly do the math and go, oh, fuck, you know, I lost 
45 million dollars this year or something crazy like that i mean like like, like is it is it killing more. you financially more, more. what it, what it, what is food fighters making a good year yeah it, it, taylor give me those I, facts well, how, how much is well, nate, nate, nate used nate was our first accountant okay so right. nate how much well, we, we had a meeting uh about the tour that was going to come up uh early last year that didn't end up happening and uh we got a sheet of paper from our accountants that said how everything was going to play out and uh I found that a few months ago <laughs> and cried. <laughs> and I just I just came into the kitchen and just showed it to my wife. I was like, look at this. <laughs> and then you just crumple it up and throw it in the trash. What what, 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 Howard, uh, Howard, seriously, dude, we're, we're so blessed. We've been doing this so long that, like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't really think about that. I don't, And I'm not trying to sound like... You know, we're so lucky that we get to chill and be, you know, dads at home and, and all that kind of stuff and not worry because there's so many people out there who are, you know, really freaking out right now. So, no, absolutely. I mean, but, um, you know, when you're looking at a balance sheet of a hundred million dollars and I'm imagining that, that the tour is worth way more than a hundred million dollars. I'm talking about the gross. That's a hard fucking pill to swallow because, uh. You know, you guys will always be able to make money. That'll go on forever. I, I predict you guys are going to be like the Stones. I'm going to look at you, and you're 90 years old. You know, I'll be fucking gone, and you'll the be out The will still be falling off stage. I, could you imagine? Yeah, monkey rinse the best of you. Monkey Monkey will be this fast. It's going to be at like the Holiday Inn and Honolulu. Let's let's. I'm sure everyone's dying to hear you guys play some music. I mean, I have a million questions to ask you guys, but maybe we should. You know, I don't know what order you want to go in, but I was. I have to say, shame, shame is really, uh, I'm so glad you're doing this today because this song is fantastic and it's a new song. And, you know, when I hear you guys, when you came out with this song, I went, motherfuckers, I'm singing this all the time. The first time I heard it, I woke up the next morning, I was singing. It's that hooky. It really gets into you. And um, um, what's the story on this song that, that with the, you, you, you envisioned it with finger snapping what was the story on that dave just so we get a, a well the a, drum the drum pattern is really simple right taylor do the drum thing so that's the basic drum track right and then wait do it again you're not gonna be able to hear the snap thing but go for it t one two three four Like we and we recorded this record in this funky old house, right? So we it wasn't a studio. So we put a kick drum and a snare like at the top of this stairwell because the reverb was cool. And then much like were, when the levee breaks, right? And then wood there were wood floors, and so I was like, oh wait, let me do this weird thing over it. And then it sounded like you know like a meth head tap dancing over a drum beat or something. It was like, oh that's cool. And then we just started layering uh, instruments over it, but not many. It's there's only a, like an acoustic so did guitar, this song- maybe an electric. Did the song start out in your head like like th- like this is what you heard in your head? Is that what kind you're saying? Of, yeah. yeah. And so, and so and and as you recorded it, it progressed to something else. And the placement of the drums in the house that you recorded this in, the placement of the drums really mattered because what, you got something acoustically out of the drum? Yeah. It sounded better at the top of those stairs. 
Because really? it's a simple it's a simple beat. It's got a lot of space, so we wanted to get the that when the levee breaks kind of drum sound. And we didn't use a lot of mics on the drums, not to get too technical, but it was really all about that stairwell sound. Like a big echo. Can't you put that echo in afterwards, in other words, now with all the technical improvements, or is it that you want that authentic sound as you're playing it? Because you probably could put it in. You know, it's one of the cool things about not recording in like a conventional recording studio is that you're discovering all of these weird corners of the house, and it's just fun. It turns into an experience, you know? Like, it's, I mean, it's one of the things that we've been doing for years. We made a record in my garage, the Wasting Light record. We went out and did Sonic Highways. We recorded in all these different places around the country, and it, it's all about how the, the, the environment influences the, the outcome. So, like, if you're, like, in a cold, dark place and you have to record a song and everyone's bummed out, it's probably going to sound like you're bummed out in a cold, dark place. If you're in, like, you know, uh, 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 an energetic sort of, like, happy environment and everybody's, like, really up, it's probably that's going to influence the outcome. And so, to me, like, going in and recording in some funky old house, like, it's more about the experience because you're trying to capture moments like that. Like, that's a kind of – you can't really create those moments. It's like when those things happen, that's what you capture on tape, and hopefully it comes through in the music. And you said the funky old house was haunted, which I don't believe in. But you say so that. Haunted. Real- I mean, I was never like that, a freaky paranormal experience, dude. I did live in a weird house in Seattle. Nate was there. It was funky. It was weird. Other people felt that it was weird. But I'd still live there. I didn't like run out of the house like the exorcist or something. I was just like, whatever. This like the house feels weird. Um, You're telling me you believe a house can be haunted? Like, yes. uh, what happened? Did, they, did you? I want to see these ghosts. Did you see a ghost? I did not see a ghost. Right. I, I mean, here. Okay. So here's the thing. Well, okay. It's it's a weird feeling of intuition where you feel like there's someone behind you all the time or right in your face, and weird things happen where you're like, "Well, that person you, is I mean, Pat. A, I know that. Okay, I saw the concept. Well, right. <laughs> the the well, other thing is, I lived in this house ten years ago i rented right. it for a year while i was remodeling my house i was living in this thing and i didn't necessarily feel weird but my kids would see things like really? at night yes my daughter like Harper. what what do they see she'd be I'm like lying. there's a there's someone in my room like i don't want to sleep in there because there's some you know i can't, Why get can't to sleep harper because... get her video camera and video this because she was video. three howard uh, i don't care <laughs> enough with your excuses now yeah. now <laughs> So you recorded it, you had this sense of a haunted house, and it was magical. You stick the drums at the top of the steps. Whatever, whatever the fuck it was, it worked, because this music is good. I think the first time I heard you play Shame, Shame was uh, on Saturday Night Live, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And I, I came on the air, and I was like, oh, my God, these guys really did it again. Song's a monster. What does it mean to be have a monster song now? Because selling records is so goddamn difficult. Is it the amount? It's the amount of, I guess, plays on um, these streaming services, right? That's how you know the song took off. I have to be honest; I totally don't understand that oh, stuff yeah. at all. I mean, we're, you don't we we're like Abraham Lincoln with that shit. Like, we have no clue how Spotify works, and I mean, right. we do, but it's. I, I think at this point, it's like, okay, we made a song, we put it on the record. Let's see how loud people sing it when we play. So, like a song and, like "Shame Shame" or "Waiting on a War," things like that. It's like, okay, that. Those are going to light the field up somehow. 
And and the three women who are back there who are your background singers, uh, they're particularly good. Where do you, how do, Dave? How do you se- select the three women who will perform with Foo Fighters? How does that go? Do you hold an open audition? Well, not really. I mean, we kind of we sort of met each other through our producer Greg Kirsten, who's right. awesome. And we at the last record we had put so many backing vocals on the record. I'm like Taylor and I aren't gonna fucking pull this off. There's no way. Like, we got to get someone else to come and sing and so our producer greg was like oh i know some people you should uh have we were doing like a performance for uh like the bbc or something like that we needed backup vocals so they came in and it was it sounded so good that um we thought okay well let's just keep it like that and then with this album they're you know they're they're just as much a part of the band as anyone like they're all over so many of the songs and it it really does add this other beautiful sort of orchestral element where it's like they're like, I love a whole, they're like another instrument. It's amazing. Barbara, I Sam, Laura. Oh, yeah. Barbara, Samantha, and Laura. Um, and, and, and it was probably a thrill for you to perform on the album, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And this band is appropriate with you? Do you want to come forward and say that uh, you've been hitting on you? Or... Now's the time, of course. Uh, right. is, there a great, is there a great Don't sexual story you want to share with us about this band? No, everyone they're the best great guys great guys great guys yeah. well that's mm-hmm. i didn't want to hear that uh, <laughs> sorry i mean uh i you know you never hear anything sexual about the foos and we were hoping to get something uh going with you guys i'm gay so, we're I'm trying attracted with this to record. them yeah i mean barbara and oh, sam oh, is that they're right? married yeah. uh barbara you're gay and you're attracted to the foos they're very hot guys right even it's though fun. you are attracted to women you find the foos attractive yeah, I do. And this is my wife right here. Oh, oh that's wow. your wife. Yeah. Now it's getting good. All right. <laughs> I knew how Foos, Foos you can all leave now. Uh, the ladies will stay. <laughs> now you're talking, ladies. All right. Now, now ladies, I want to ask you something. Do you separately get together and rehearse what you're going to do now? Like the, the, the background vocals. I mean, I've heard you guys. You're terrific. The, the sound is great. Do you rehearse separately from the Foos, the, the part you have to do? We rehearse in the car ride over. <laughs> and what does that sound like? Let, your part isolated. When like 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 like. Let me hear the rehearsal before you actually do the song. Uh, for Sky. Uh, oh God. Which one should we do? Uh, what's a good one with all the background vocals? Oh yeah, yeah. Do the na 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 na. So the first song on the record is called "Making a Fire." And the, the song immediately opens up with this, like, na-na-na-na-na thing. Okay, let me hear the na na light, light drums. They're working it out. They're working it out. Hold on, they're working it out. We have to rehearse for the rehearsal. Ladies, let's get back to the lesbian stories. Forget it. <laughs> but, 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 but in all seriousness, um, does it matter to uh, you guys, whenever I see you interviewed or anything, you talk about your guitars like they are women. I mean, that you, you love your guitars and they all have different sounds. Does it ultimately matter, Dave, what instruments you play? Um, it, 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 does guitar really have that different a sound between a Gibson and a, and a, and a, and a Strat or something like that? Okay, you're asking the wrong person because I know nothing 
about guitars. And I will sit down at any shitty drum set and play it. I don't fucking, I honestly don't care. Chris and Pat are the guitar aficionados of the band. You can ask them. Chris and Pat, how many guitars do you own? Let me, oh, let me give you this answer, Howard, if I may. Please, no, I learned a long time ago, no matter what guitar I play, no matter what amp setup, anything, I always just sound like me. So you can give me Brian May's whole setup, and I'm just going to sound like me. And on the flip side, no matter what you give Brian May, he's going to sound like him. So it, it doesn't matter at all. I, I love that answer because I, I do believe that. I think each guitar player has an individual sound. And ultimately, you know, maybe it's a, a psychological thing. I want to play a Stratocaster or a, as opposed to a Telecaster. But, but at the end of the day, it, it, guitar players have a unique sound. Like Brian May, doesn't he use like a, 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 a quarter or something for a pick? And six it gets pence. A certain, yeah, right. Six but, pence. But a six pence, yeah. Yeah, but what a sound. Like he, he probably could play any guitar and he'd still sound like Brian May. All the way. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So listen, let's have some fun. We're talking about, right, Dave? Shame, shame. That's right. Um, this is uh, one of three songs you guys are going to play today. Is everybody yes. nervous to do this or uh, uh, happy to do this? Well, how do we feel? Oh, early. Pat, you're ready I, to do this? I'm, I'm, it's too early to be nervous. Oh, it is. <laughs> Yeah, it feels you good. Know, Howard, this feels good. It does feel right. The, it does. You know, it feels nice. Pat, do you miss? Do you ever wake up and 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 miss playing with Nirvana, or are those days so far behind you that uh, and you're such a Foo Fighter now, as as having been in both bands? Uh, do you wake up and sometimes say, "Gosh, what would it have been like if Nirvana had stayed together?" You know, every once in a while, me and Chris and Dave get together and we do play as if we're Nirvana. And it's oh, amazing. you do? Really? Yeah, so I don't, I don't have to miss it. We do it. Dave, I didn't I mean, know if this. we're in the same town together or, you know, whatever, we'll get together and jam. You mean you'll get, where do you get together? In a rehearsal space? And you, and you say, let's go be Nirvana. Well, last time we did it at the house where we recorded the album. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. We actually recorded some stuff. Yeah. Do you ever go back and listen to the Nirvana albums, either of you two guys? Do you, do you go back and say, you know, I just want to go live that over again? No. No? <laughs> Is it too painful? <laughs> yes. Yes. Really? It, it, in other words, emotionally, it pains you because when you hear it, it brings back every memory of recording or touring or whatever. It just makes me sad. It's hard right. sometimes. Yeah. I mean, there's times me where you're driving in the car and like a song will come on. Last night, actually, my daughter Harper, she's 11. She's like, Dad, can we just go drive around? She's been stuck in the house for weeks. She's like, can we just drive around? I was like, yeah, sure. So we jump in the car in my van, uh, this cool old Ford van from the 60s. And we just drove around, like drove around the, the Hollywood. Looked at, so it was like 8 o'clock at night, just driving around. And Come As You Are came on the radio. And she started singing. She sang every word. Wow. I've never played her that record. We don't really like talk about Nirvana and stuff. And she was singing every word of the song. I was like, that's, that to me, that feels good. If well, I were how did in that the, happen? 
I mean, she knows you were in Nirvana, right? I mean, you, I mean, not that you go around Kids talking about Don't it. tell her. Kids love yeah. Nirvana. Yeah. My it's son, in my will. Don't say a thing. Kids do love the kids, Nirvana, though. They do, they but really do the do. kids... Do the kids ask you about Nirvana? Do they say, Dad, what was that like? I mean, she yeah. actually did for the first time last night. Yeah, it was a trip. She said, oh, what did she say? She wanted to know. Um, she wanted to know if Kurt was shy, I think. Yeah. I was like, yeah, he, he kind of was. She, and then she said, was he shy around people he didn't know? Or was he also shy around people he did know? And I, it was interesting. Wow. It was really the first time she started really asking me questions about Kurt. That was a first. And uh, it was great. It was a good, And you know why that's talk. such a good question? Because most of us don't understand someone who is shy, but yet could go up in front of thousands Howard, of people. Yeah. That is exactly what she said. That is right. exactly what my daughter said last night. She goes, it's so strange that he could be so shy but then stand up on stage and play music in front of thousands of people. That's exactly what she said. Are you shy? Because I'm extremely shy. I can get on a microphone. But for me, being on the radio, man, being alone in my room right. and talking into a microphone, I didn't have to deal with an audience. Um, you know, I just, I just assumed that there was an audience there, but I didn't think about them that much. But, but for you, are you shy off, off uh, stage? I am not shy. Right. <laughs> I'm <deep> shy. <laughs> That's funny. No. I'm not shy. No. It's uh it is quite remarkable when you think Dave, about I'm your so story. <laughs> Maybe I, mean, I when should you get shy. Maybe I'm gonna try to be shy. Dude, Maybe you I'm should be shyer. I'll but be shyer. Weird? Isn't it shy. amazing that you and Pat were in this monstrous band and now you've got a second monstrous band? Have you ever stopped to think, has there ever been who else? I mean, okay, you look at McCartney or any of the Beatles after after the Beatles. They okay, they had great success, but how many guys have been in bands where they had a first? I mean, a huge success, changed music, and then went on to even have a bigger band afterwards. It's insane. It, the odds have to be a billion to one, right? Well, I think it it happens. It has happened. Um. And I wouldn't consider that the Foo Fighters are bigger than Nirvana. It's kind of well, a totally different trip. It's just a such a different, you know, thing. But I mean, yeah, there have been like Peter Gabriel, you know, went from maybe Genesis Clapton, to Yardbirds, being, Cream, and, and then yeah, Solo, are, maybe. Uh, yeah, there's some. But yeah, um, I guess. Howard, I've often what? thought of us as the wings of grunge. <laughs> oh, that's that a good cool. album title right there. <laughs> wings of wings. Oh I, love, I love wings. Death metal, wings of I love wings. Uh, whatever you want to say, but Dave, I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this, but is it true that a that after Nirvana, Pearl Jam asked you to be their drummer, and Tom Petty asked you to be their drummer, and you turned them down? Petty, yes. Pearl Jam, no. I don't know where the Pearl Jam thing came from. Um, I, you know, friends with those guys, like we knew each other We were, when I, that, I was living in Seattle at the time. So I knew those guys, but they never called and asked me to play drums with them. I played, I jammed with them once on stage in like Australia or something like that. But no, they didn't, they didn't call, but Petty did. I, I did Saturday night live with Tom Petty and we had so much fun and we all got along so well that, um, that, uh, actually it's funny. I was in the studio recording what became the first Foo Fighters record when I got the call to play with Petty. 
So I was in the middle of recording our first thing, and uh, and someone called and said, "Hey, do you want to play with Petty on SNL?" And I was like, "Yeah, wait, why be me? Like, I mean, this he, he could get like a world class drummer, like any dude." And so, but then I came down and jammed, and I mean, honestly, you must have hung out with him or met him before. Never. He was really. Yeah, I had an opportunity to interview him, and we were going to do it like kind of like this over over a camera. And yeah. at the time, I was like, no, 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 I'm going to wait for Tom Petty to come in the studio. And right. I waited too long because then I never got oh, to interview him. Which was a dumb fucking move. I, I, I mean, I, he, it, he, was, he was very cool and very, uh, like, low-key, down-to-earth, just really, really cool. And so, so did, you, did you take it seriously when he said to you, hey, I want you to be my drummer permanently? I mean, it's pretty you know, we stuff. had one. We, had, uh, we played SNL, and afterwards, he basically he was like, man, that was good. Be shame if that's the only time we do it sort of thing. And then he called me at home. And he's like, well, look, if you want, here's how we do it. Like, you get your own bus, and we don't tour too hard, and blah, blah, blah. And he was um, kind of explaining, like, you know, if you're into it, come out, and let's do it for a little while. But I had just started doing this thing, and I just felt weird about just going right back to the drums because it would have just reminded me of being in Nirvana. It would have been sad for me right. personally. Just It would have been an emotional thing to be behind the drum set every night and not have Kurt there. So I was like, nah, fuck it. I'm going to try this other thing. You know, I get it. And obviously the right move, but, uh, you know, Petty, that's a pretty good offer, you know, I mean, because, you know, let's face it, you you know, you're going to be working and and, and going out and touring with him. But I understand why you obviously turned it down. So strange, all those twists and turns in rock and roll, you know, history. Like, were you shocked when, you know, Nirvana to me was always a threesome. And then when Pat got, you know, when, when Kurt said, let's bring Pat into Nirvana, were you shocked? Were you like, no, 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 it's the three of us. Was it weird no. for you to, to become a force? No. Well, you know, uh, Nirvana at one point had another guitarist, like in 1989 or 1990. This dude named Jason Everman was in the band for a bit. And then they went back to being a three-piece. So it didn't seem to, uh, it didn't seem weird to me. Um, Kurt, we had just made this record, and Kurt's like, I feel like we need another guitar player to fill out some of the guitar parts. And the craziest thing was that, you know, Pat comes from, Pat's from Los Angeles and was in this legendary punk rock band called The, the Germs. Germs yeah. That we all grew up listening to. Like, we worshipped The Germs. And, you know, we were talking about other guitar players. Kurt comes back from Los Angeles. He's like, I found our second guitar player. I'm like, who? He said, Pat Smear from The Germs. And I was just like, honestly, my first reaction was like, that guy's still alive? Really? Like, if you only knew, like, what the germs did and what they were like. And yeah. I was like, I can't. And then I just imagined, like, just some big, fat, junky mess, like, you know. And then he came, and then he walks in, he's Pat Smear, like, hey! And, it, I mean, for the last year of the band, it was like, it made it 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 made the band uh, a lot more fun to be in, having Pat in the band. It, it really made that last, like, bunch of touring uh, Pat, were, Pat, was it weird for you? I mean, to go into a band that's tight already and then have to join them like later in the game, I would think it's kind of, it's kind of cool, but it also kind of sucks because you got to get up to speed with these guys. It, it was only weird immediately and then it got cool real fast. And, uh, what was weird? First, your first gig was SNL. Yeah. Right out of the gate. Throw him on the stage at SNL. Right there it is. Was Kurt that kind of guy? Like, he's like, 
hey, Pat, just come on SNL with us. And like, you'd be like, you know, maybe that's not a good idea, but he just like, he'd, he'd come up with these bizarre ideas, I feel. Yeah. He, yeah. he just called me up and said, you want to be in my band? I'm like, okay. I've met him, I don't know, once or twice. I didn't know him at all. I knew Courtney. So uh, I guess she gave me, uh, she gave him, she gave me an endorsement. So you didn't have to audition. I mean, like, what happens? No. Like, so for the first gig, do you, yeah, I know he's Pat Smear, but Jesus Christ, we got to at least see. No, I guess you're right. I mean, it would be insulting. Yeah, I asked the same question. Like, what right. if they don't like me? And he said, right. yeah, it'll be fine. I'd be all paranoid. I yeah. mean, to be honest, when Pat joined the band, he was the best musician in Nirvana, you know? So it's not like he wasn't joining, like, the Philharmonic Orchestra. It was like, you know, he was already overqualified. Why do you say that, though? I mean, you're, I would think Am I wrong? Pat Smear, something. am I wrong? You're wrong. <laughs> I am not wrong. Dave, are you not a great musician? I mean, do you Pat, not see yourself as a great... what's the story you told me once, Pat, about you guys, walk, you and Kurt walking by Dave playing... Kurt's left-handed guitar. Yeah, Dave, we're we're backstage at a gig once, and Dave and uh, Dave's noodling around the guitar, and me and Kurt walk by, and we stare at him for a minute, and we go in the next room, and we started laughing. We're like, "Oh my God, he's better than both of us." Oh. <laughs> I know Dave's Dave. Like, puts Dave himself is the down. greatest rhythm guitar player on. The, Dave and James Hetfield are the two greatest rhythm guitar players on the planet Earth. Dave, why did you never uh, concentrate on lead guitar? In the sense that, um, what wh what is that about? Like, 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 is lead guitar that much harder? Because uh, it seems to be the lead guitar guy is always the featured guy. Um, you, you I know? think that just required more like practice and patience that I wasn't willing to commit to. It was like, um, I don't know. I mean, I think like, I, I just kind of peaked at a real by. By the time I was like 15 or 16, that's like, I just peaked. That was it. <laughs> like, I could, I wasn't going to, like, there's, I'm not going to, like, sit down in my basement with a computer on some YouTube tutorial and be like, like, I just, there's no fucking way on earth. I much prefer, like, you know, like Malcolm Young from ACDC. Like, right. that, I think that's so cool. And I mean, as a drummer, it's like I kind of bang on it sort of like it's a drum set, you know? And that's, I, I don't know. I just, I'm just not, I don't have the technical ability to do it. So I, so I just don't even try, you know? So when you saw like an Eddie Van Halen, you didn't say, I have to master that. I need to do what Eddie, you know, I need to be a great lead guitar player. No, I was just like, I will never, ever be able to do that. <laughs> so why you waste my fucking time trying? Exactly. <laughs> right. Like, there's better shit to do for me personally. I get it. Do you think when all you guys were kids, did you just sit in your rooms and play over and over and over again? It, was it really just an obsession? Did it take thousands and thousands of hours of practice? 10,000. I mean, you know, it wasn't just the playing. It was the looking at the records and looking at, inside the records and looking at the drum sets and looking at the stages and, it was kind of all encompassing for me. I mean, I just yeah. once rock and roll was it. There was nothing else, nothing else. Well, and girls. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. Under, I don't understand that. myself. I was the same way. I. I mean, I was obsessed with music, and but I fucking never sat down and really learned how to play. And I can. That's my biggest regret. 
I took some piano lessons. I had guitars, but I never really. And I, and I you gotta play drums. Oh, it's really easy. No, it's not. And I think that the, 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 the um, I, I wasted so much fucking time. You know what I mean? I, I should have sat there. What were you there. doing? What were you doing? I was jerking off. That's what I. Okay, was doing. you know what? It's okay. It's too late for you to become Eddie Van Halen. Like that's your fucking. There's just no fucking way right. that's gonna happen. Right. Like play along with an ACDC record. Play along with a Ramones record. Like, no, you know. because I I won't be Come good on. enough. I I got to be good enough to join your band. I mean, this is ridiculous. Listen, um, we are the band that you don't have to be good enough to join. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like oh, I've shit. always said that that we have had we've had auditions. Like maybe when Chris joined the band, it was sort of like an audition process. But ultimately, musicianship in this band is kind of second to just being the right type of person to be in this band. Like that's basically it. Like if, you Dave. if you were a dick and you couldn't hang with us, you wouldn't be in the fucking band. If you're oh, I'm like, a dick. Uh, well, of course. We <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to change your whole yeah. schedule. I'm for glad this you guy, can't right? play guitar. You mean I gotta, I gotta change my personality too to be in the fucking band? Forget it. It's over for me. What? Did, did, by the way, did you get to hang at Paul McCartney's house? Like at his house? Yes. You did. Did that blow your mind? I mean, to me, that has to be the ultimate experience. This, I mean, Paul McCartney, look, at how did he write all of those songs? When you're around him, are you, do you say to him, Paul, look, I'm a songwriter. Tell me your process. Tell me, I, I would imagine you had a million questions for this guy. I can't imagine a more awkward conversation. So, no, I would never say that. <laughs> Honestly. Because you, well, why? Like, why? Why? Paul, what's your song? Why? Because process? it's like, I mean, here's, okay, first yeah. of all, you have to understand, like, so Paul, you know, like, he walks through life being Paul McCartney. Everybody, I think that he, you know, one of the first things that he'll do is sort of, like, kind of diffuse that awkward tension. Like, right. he knows how you feel, and he's considerate of that. So he like brings it down and it's like, yeah, man. And like everything's like cool and it's mellow and you wind up just sort of like hanging out, eating pizza and drinking wine and just not talking about like, how the fuck did you write? Let it be. It's like, you don't <laughs> really go there. So, but I mean, but obviously, but when you were there, like, what was the occasion? It was a party. Yeah. Just hang, hang. And hang. you're there. The, the way I heard it is Paul's there. You're there. Taylor Swift is there. Oh yeah. That. <laughs> Why is that funny to you? <laughs> it's funny because yeah. she got on the piano. Uh, Paul played a song on the piano, and uh, it was a new song, and everyone's hanging out. And then he finishes, and everyone's like, yeah, it's in the living room. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. Woo. And then Stella <laughs> and Mary, his daughters, are like, all right, Dave, go ahead. It's your turn. Play this. And I'm like, I don't fuck, I don't play piano. I don't know what to do. So then there's guitars in the room, and they're all fucking left-handed. <laughs> I mean, it was like one of those yeah. nightmares where you're like naked and you're running backwards and you're in school and your teeth are falling right. out or whatever. It was just like a disastrous nightmare. Nah. And so Taylor's like, I'll do a song. And she gets up on the piano and she starts playing this thing. And uh, I had kind of smoked a little pot a little bit. So I was like, kind of, of which rarely happens. And so I fucking and I'm and I'm <laughs> I was just like, what's this? fucking song i feel like i know this song she was doing best of you <laughs> on piano oh my and God. i'm like and i'm just stunned to the bone man and i was just like oh my god what do i do what do i do like running backwards naked teeth falling out like oh my god what am I doing? and um so i had to like sit next to her of course she's singing it beautifully and they're like sing with her dave so i'm like ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like so <laughs> fucking weird wow yes. 
Why would you smoke weed at Paul McCartney's house? Because I would think you'd want to keep your wits about you. Weed makes me paranoid. Weed makes me fucked up. I would be around Paul McCartney. I have to have my sensibilities. You know what I mean? I can't hang that loose. I was a full-on stoner when I was a teenager. From the ages of oh. like 15 to 20. I was like right. a fucking pothead. Like stuck to the bong, I just was, dude. It was all, and then it started stuck gaming, to the bong, stuck to the bong, and that's your next song. Getting, <laughs> why fuck this right right now? I fucking, what? and then I just, I like started getting anxiety every time I'd get high. I'd get, a, I'd fucking have a panic attack. Me too. So I got to the exactly. So I stopped. I was like, fuck, I can't do that anymore. And there have been times where it's like I'm kind of a spaz. I'm kind of an, an insomniac. Everyone's like, dude, just fucking smoke some weed before bed. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll try to smoke some. And I like, I like, you know, take a couple hits off of a fucking bowl before bed. And then I wind up like watching Miles Davis interviews on fucking YouTube until six <laughs> o'clock in the morning. So it has the, nah. the, the, the opposite effect. And I'm just like, I just can't fucking do it. I can't do it. Yeah. The, the last time I smoked weed, I uh, pulled up, um, I was on, I was watching on YouTube, um, Liberace on the David Letterman show. Uh, <laughs> and it was awesome. He was fucking great. It was really good, the two of them together. I loved it. Uh, he was a really good piano player, L- Liberace. He could he could really wail on that thing. I'm Pat, telling you. Were you into, who was it? We've talked about Liberace before. I love Liberace. Pat loved Liberace. Yeah, I love Liberace. I don't know. I love it. So, the thing so, he said was classical music without the boring parts. Right. Which is <laughs> such a brilliant model. <laughs> and when Paul plays on a Foos song, you know, he plays on Sunday Rain on, the, on, their, on your last album. Um, they, you can't tell this fucking guy what to do, right? I mean, you can't say, hey, Paul, you know, you're not hitting it. <laughs> we actually right? wanted it to sound like Paul McCartney playing drums, actually, because it's awesome. Right. He's unique. You know, everything he touches has got his feel. So we're like, just please be Paul McCartney. And he did. And it was amazing. He's one of the. He, he might be the greatest songwriter. You know, him and John Lennon, the two greatest songwriters that ever lived. You know, maybe maybe Mick Jagger too. You know, with with Keith Richards. I don't know. It's a, it's a toss up. Those guys. What was that like? Remember, Dave, when you were on Saturday Night Live, Jagger was the host. Did you get yeah. to hang with him at all? Yeah. Was he a good it's guy? Awesome. Yeah, he was funny. He it, was funny. He, he was really shit. funny. And the funny thing was like, okay, so he was going to host. It was the season finale. And he right. was going to host the show. Um, but Stones weren't doing anything. And right. so I actually got the call from Lauren. And he's like, Mick uh, Jagger is going to host the show. But at the Stones, we were wondering if you could be the backing band. I was like, oh, fucking absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so I fucking, I'm like. I'm like, when is it? He's like, May 18th or whatever. So I'm like, cool. I open up my laptop and I see May 18th was like a show at the at like Jones Beach or something like that. New Jersey. In Jersey. And I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, well, okay. So I, uh, we got a show that night, but I'll get rid of it and we'll fucking, because, dude, we get the jam. Jagger. What do you mean Paul get rid of it? How do you get I mean, rid what, of it? Well, I didn't know if it was like on sale or if it was already booked, but it was on right. I mean, this months in advance. So I'm looking at this thing. And I call I call our manager John Silva and I'm like uh, John uh, we just got asked to be Jagger's backing band on SNL so we got to lose that show he's like you can't, it's they've already they they already sent the check you can't fucking do it I'm like fuck right. so we actually did this thing where we uh, I guess we sound checked 
jumped on a helicopter, flew, did the gig for two and a half hours or whatever in Jersey, helicoptered back to the city, police escort to 30 Rock, go upstairs, jam with Mick, and then afterwards <laughs> played the season finale party in that little square where they got the ice rink and all that shit. We played for another two hours. We did cover songs. And he actually jumped on stage with us and did cover songs with us. It was amazing. It was great. Wow. Is he the greatest he's, front man that ever lived? I would, yeah, Howard, he he showed up the first, because when you do SNL, you have to rehearse at like 10 in the morning, you know, right. for Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday or for whatever, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And he comes in, it's, oh, I was up, I, I was, I didn't really sleep much, so I'm just barely going to sing or anything. I'm not going to do much. I'm just going to, and we start playing, it's only rock and roll or whatever we're playing. And he, it's, we might as well have been at Madison Square Garden, dude. He's literally like running back and forth doing, He's doing that doing thing. Mick, being Mick Jagger. Like, and it's, there's like two camera guys in our road crew and it's 11 in the morning and he's like a hundred percent Mick Jagger. It's like, amazing. Wow. I love that the first something? time we played that for him, he said, he said, he kind of giggled and went, I haven't done it that way since we recorded it. Well, that was the thing I remember. I asked him, I was like, before the second verse, is it like two times or four times or whatever? And he's like, I don't know. That's just fucking how we recorded it. Like that, that, that to me, you know, everyone w w would always say Rolling Stones is the greatest rock and roll band on earth. Greatest rock and roll band on earth. And I was like, really? Really? And then I went to go see him like on one of those last tours. And I realized why people say that is because of their connection on stage and that there is that, like, they're kind of walking that fine line. Like, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it through this one? Are they going to make it? And you can see, like, it's time for a change. Mick looks over at at, uh, at uh, Keith, and then Keith, like, looks over at, at Ronnie, uh, uh, the uh, Charlie Watts, and it's like they got this thing, and then they're like, then they go into the next part. Like, it's actually happening on stage, which is very cool. Because right. these days, it's like, you know, there's bands where they have, like, LED light shows that everyone's playing the click tracks and everything's connected to the lights and there's lasers and it sounds perfect and there's backing tracks and all this stuff. You go see the stones and it's like, cross your fingers, dude. Like, they're either going to go this way or they're going to go that way with it. And when they go that way with it, it's like, that's the best rock and roll band on earth. Yeah, the and first you know two songs, amazing? you're like, what are they playing? And then after those two songs, all of a sudden it goes, and then they become the greatest rock and roll band on the earth. It's yeah, weird. And what's it's magic. I'm totally blown out how, like, Keith will go in an interview and just slam the fuck out of Mick Jagger. Like, I mean, say horrible, horrible we'll things. We'll be doing about the same thing in 25 years.